Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to our podcast, Life After the Letters. I'm Amelie. And I'm Suba. We're friends that met whilst working our first shifts as junior doctors. And we're here to talk about the stories and challenges that we face every day. Hello, Amelie. Hello, Suba. I can't even... <laughs> excitement in my voice because we've been playing around and messing around for the past 37 minutes to be exact because Suba can't research how to set up an international Skype recording conversation. Also because Amelie Amelie is the most tech phobic person who's there like but it doesn't work on this and I can't figure out how to do this on that. Apple for three years don't you know? (laughs) So can we just talk about the miracle of technology that I'm literally on the other side of the world in New Zealand and Amelie is in the UK and we're currently both online recording a podcast together. But let's also talk about the tragedy that there's no time travel because I, it's currently 6.38am, my voice is gone and Suba's living her best life about to do a Game of Thrones listening party. So I don't know, it sounds a bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also, Amelie, there is a positive to it being 6.30 in the morning. Your voice is sounding real low. Damien, Daniel. <laughs> Sexy voice on. Yes, husky. <laughs> so, guys, we thought, okay, let's bring you an episode on New Zealand and what it's like to, I was going to say intercalate, but what it's like to do your episode. <laughs> or take years out of training so we're both taking probably two years out of training super might magically next week who knows um but let's talk about new zealand so super how are you finding it mate it's such a good life out here it's great it's it's kind of one of those things where like if i didn't have so much time into the uk i could genuinely imagine staying here and living here so that's absolutely mad. I've seen pictures of you surfing and that's literally shook me to the core. Who am I? I don't even know myself anymore. I'm like finding it. I'm eat, pray, loving out here. Like it's, I'm Julia Roberts now. I'm Julia Roberts. Okay. When you went to New Zealand, how did you find it then? And like, what was your journey in New Zealand like? So um, I think that and I think this is a fantastic thing with F1 and F2 that because we move and you rotate and you yeah. change hospitals yeah. and you change groups of mates and like, you know, you learn to become so adaptable. And um, so I felt like coming over here, obviously I was nervous, but I there was a large part of me that was like, yeah, the first month might be 
like rough in that I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how things are done here. And yeah. then I'll just get used to it. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally get you. But you, you and Claire, you didn't actually have accommodation to start with, did you? No. So there was a lot of things that were up in the air, but um, that's a huge part of just like moving to okay. another part of the world, isn't it? Yeah, so, exactly. um, but we, we kind of had a strategy of like starting in an Airbnb, trying to find a place out here, trying to get life sorted, um, getting settled, getting settled into the new job, getting used to how they do things out here. Um, all of that sort of stuff obviously kind of happened in the first month or so. Yeah. So kind of finding your feet kind of happens quite early on. Good, good. But, you feel like you found yeah. at work as well? Yeah, I think for sure now. I, I definitely would say I have. There's like three months later or four months later. Yeah, it's been it's three months down the line. Isn't that crazy? Oh, that, yeah. Actually madness. It is, it is. Cool. Anyways, give us a quick, give us a quick run through of uh, what you've been up to. So currently I am living, I was going to say nomadic life, but that's totally not the word. <laughs> So I've been, I just, I've been out of London and anything out of London is just a bit scary for me. It's nomadic to you. You're now in outer Mongolia in your TP <laughs> Travelling through. No, I'm literally li- living and working in Devon at the moment. So I pretty much, uh, I thought I was coming to do an acute medicine, medical job. So the funny thing oh, yeah. about the agency is that they like schmooze you so much. They'll be like, oh, this is the money we'll get you. This is the accommodation we'll get you this is what your new job will be and then you go and you sign your contract and you're like okay cool I'm gonna do an acute job because an acute job is the easiest thing just to like jump into isn't it yeah for sure she rocks up on her first day (laughs) and turns out it's not an acute job and I was like oh Mm. my gosh so and I've signed a contract bear in mind that says an acute job so anyway she's like um so you're not actually starting there you're going to be doing medicine and medicine is so annoying because it's such a vast thing like you could be doing anything I could be like chilling in a derm clinic or a room clinic or I could be breaking my back on gastro do you know what I mean oh wow so they move you like from ward to ward so that's what she said on the first day that she was actually going to move me and I was going to be the filler inner, which made me like nearly cry because I don't want to be filler inner because yeah. tend to do a bulk of the work. Like you'll always have a busy days because you're not, yeah. you're, you're an understaffed ward. Anyway, and it was you're always good. And you're always covering gaps, aren't you? So you're yeah. always busy. Exactly. So I was about to have like a nervous breakdown, but I was like, okay, no, no, <laughs> let, let them just think that you're like a calm, nice person. So anyway, I rock up and I've been on the same ward since I started, which has been three weeks now. So I've been on a respiratory ward and it's just to help the juniors because the juniors are finding it quite stressful, not having enough people. And now it almost feels like once you have one more doctor, it's too many people. Mm. But I'm not complaining about that at all. But back to you. Okay. Because we'll talk about my journey later. And we will. We will. So Suba. When did you start thinking initially about going to New Zealand? And were you thinking of other options at the time? Were you thinking about going in straight into training? What was your thought process? So um, for me, it goes back to like pretty much being second year at med school. Um, I remember hearing for the first time from like, I think like a friend of mine who was final year or like fourth year who told me about the concept of F3. And it's like, you know, when someone like upgrades your life for you, like, (laughs) like the first time someone told me about the beauty blender or like the first time someone told me that you should use it like damp as opposed to just like dry and you're like game changer or or the first person who I'm sorry I don't know who you are anymore but like who showed me what pesto was and I was like what wow I've 
What have I been doing my whole life? I've been eating nuts, olive oil and basil separately. I could have been blending it and putting it on my pasta, but, you know, so... Upping it up. Yeah. <laughs> so that was me as a second year at med school when someone in their final year was like, oh, F3, it's a thing where, like, after you do F1 and F2, you go travelling or you go abroad and you can work in different places. And they were planning to do Australia, um and I was like oh I'd love to visit that part of the world like Australia New Zealand that side of the world would be amazing um and a friend of mine was like oh yeah New Zealand's actually like this new place that everyone goes to and like blah 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 and I was like oh that sounds really cool Australia back in the day didn't they and I think it's only more recent that everyone's like going to New Zealand exactly yeah because Australia has been kind of like the go-to spot for ages um but in like probably the last three four years I felt like New Zealand's really boomed in popularity So, um, so yeah, that was the first time it kind of came across me, like it came, like came to my mind. Um, and I pretty much made up my mind that day that I was <laughs> definitely doing an F, absolutely I was doing an F3. <laughs> um, absolutely. And that just keeps, it keeps expanding now, doesn't it? F4, F5. <laughs> um, getting risky. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was kind of like, um, probably over the last couple of years definitely in final year I was kind of like mm, New Zealand kind of appeals to me more because Australia was quite oversubscribed and um it sounded like it would be quite difficult to get the sort of job you wanted and the place you wanted mm-hmm. um that New Zealand kind of started to appeal to me a bit more I see I see and it, um of kind of thinking you know when you're like okay New Zealand's gonna be much easier let me start researching about New Zealand what that looks like and you start to get excited by a new place yeah, yeah, yeah. And the more you look into it, the more you're like, oh, they have this and there's that. And that's really cool. And then also a big deciding factor for me between Australia and New Zealand was the fact that New Zealand doesn't have anything that can kill you. Whereas Australia has, you know what, everything is trying to end your life. Like you go to put on your shoes and you get bitten by a snake or something, you know, like. That's not the life I'm trying to lead. No, no. That's not that's not why my parents came to the UK, you know? <laughs> just, just like we can go to New Zealand and be gone. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's not the one to try to put on your put on your slippers and you die. Like that's not. That's not the one. So no. are there other people who are just not F threes? So do people come to New Zealand at different times of their lives? Um, yeah, absolutely. So actually, there's a lot of consultants that move out here okay. that um, come out here with their families um, after having worked in the UK for like 10, 10 years as a consultant and come out here to continue their careers. Yeah, there's lots of um, there's so many people, actually, there's to the point where sometimes I get confused as to whether I'm in New Zealand or if I'm in the UK. There's so many Brits out here. Um, so that's quite an experience, particularly midwives. There's a lot of British midwives here. Oh, interesting. That's really cool. It's great yeah. that these options exist for other people who are outside of doctordom and also at different stages of their lives. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And so that made it easier for you to like assimilate or was it because they were very, they were very similar systems that allowed you to assimilate? So, I mean, yeah, it's a multi, like it's a multifactorial thing. I think feeling like coming to feel comfortable here. Firstly, of course, it's, it's like, um, you know, it's a public healthcare system for the majority It is half private, half public, so as to speak, but secondary care is publicly funded. So, um, it's very similar to being back home. Um, secondly, there's so much, so many of the staff are British, so it just feels very familiar. Give me a percentage of how many staff are British. Um, 
genuinely, I would say maybe like 60, 40. Like 60 Kiwi, 40 British. That's mad. It's huge. That's crazy. I've been in conversations where with, with people, like just by chance in terms of like who's around and you, we've all just been British and you're like, oh, this is weird. That's so weird. But I suppose that's also the beauty of being able to have like free travel and to be able to easily pick up, move and work in New Zealand or Australia. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I th- exactly. Visa nonsense or to figure out whether your family will be able to come and meet you. Like so many like immigrants yeah. in the UK. In- yeah, 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 exactly. Interesting. No, it's it is actually quite mental. You really become conscious of like that privilege that you have. Yeah. Um, but also, it's uh, the other the other side of it. I was going to say is that the kind of people that are drawn to New Zealand from the UK are quite similar. So it's been really easy to get on with the Brits that you do meet here because you've kind of been drawn to this place rather than Australia and you're kind of on a similar wavelength somehow. So it's quite nice. So can you, what do you think like the characteristics of your lot in New Zealand are? So the people that kind of come to New Zealand are definitely like absolutely in love with the outdoors. So love nature, love the outdoors. Um, Slightly on the more hipster side of life, like, you know, appreciate the finer things um particularly also the Aucklanders because I'm obviously in Auckland so um the people that then choose to come and live in the city kind of like want the city life love having like a good meal out love a good coffee like you know kind of like that side of things too so um it's kind of and like everyone's quite friendly like if if you've upped and moved across the world to move your life like you're quite a sociable person like yeah you know so everyone out here as well don't you because you have to make decisions Exactly. So everyone's like just very willing to say hello and be helpful and be friendly. So it's it's really nice. It's lovely. And can I ask, would you say that's just in the hospital or is that also outside? Because obviously people who are newly newly in a country, of course, they're going to be open. But how have you found it interacting with people who are Kiwi, essentially? Um, I've, I generally, I would say that the Kiwis are quite relaxed, like they're really quite chilled out and yeah. they are friendly. I was going to say even out and about, popping into shops and things like that, everyone's always been quite friendly and chatty. But I would say that's actually not dissimilar to London. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, but in the hospital, the culture is a bit different to, I would say, back home. But that's also probably to do with the fact that there's like a lesser degree of stress and pressure. Yeah, and super- so... I think also we, we've we been working in like basically London hospitals or like London yeah. hospitals. And like, even for me, I'm in Devon now. Literally, it blows my mind. Can I just tell you something? Because it's, I can't even, whenever it happens, it makes me so shook in the hospital. My consultant, whenever she's like, oh, okay, we need to request this scan for this patient. Then I'll go and see this woman. And she is filling out the form herself. And then she'll go and discuss the scan. What? Your consultant? Consultant. And then also, like, if she's referring a patient from clinic to the ward, she'll clock them. Listen, the patient will come up with a filled out drug chart and, like, everything (laughs) will be filled out. Anticoagulation will be done. PR medications (laughs) will be done. Everything will be signed. They'll be checked against their allergies. And then she will give me a call before I even know the patient's up to say what exactly is going on. And then I'm like, no, let me do something. Let me clock them. And she's like, Okay, but I've done their bloods. I've taken this food some culture, and I've done cultures. And this woman has literally done it herself. I'm shooketh. Super. I think it's London. I think London's really mad. Yeah. We've also definitely... That's difficult, isn't it? Because we've definitely worked in a bubble of being in, like, 
high pressure and like London hospitals high pressure hospitals like yeah and our hospitals you know, were like understaffed and they were like just about yeah. keeping it together understaffed and yeah. oversubscribed that's, <laughs> that's our it. hospital yeah, literally both of them isn't it mad mad yeah oh. and are you feeling homesick at all that's what I wanted to know um so I'm like I'm a bit of a strange person because I don't generally get like that homesick even when I'm traveling see but I just uh, um did you miss me and you just ignored me <laughs> no 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 wait 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 let me get to it let me get thank to you, it because obviously obviously like I miss obviously I miss my family and all of my friends including you um and I love that I had to clarify that you are my friend um <laughs> But um, you know what really got me, though, was I was on Facebook and I saw a... Because I think it's also easy to kind of, like, not focus on that. But I saw a video of um, someone... Fil- like, someone filmed, like, um, uh, like Oxford Street, like, Christmas lights through a London bus as it was just, like, going down the road. And I literally, like, got really emotional. I was like, oh, oh my God, it's home. And I really missed, I missed that. Because also for us, it's summer. Like, for us at the moment, it's spring turning yeah. into summer. So... Okay. And also for you, you've literally been brought up in London and you've studied here and you've worked here. It's not like you've even had time out of London, so that must be such a change. Yeah, I think it's just missing, like... Because I think I really attach to, um, like, places Mm -hmm. as opposed to necessarily people. So seeing, like, a place really brought that memory back to me, I was like, oh, I really miss it. Aww. Isn't that so interesting? But this is so different as well. So what do you plan on doing over your Christmas break? So, um, well, I luckily am not working Christmas. And um, Claire, so Claire's, I don't think we've mentioned Claire before. Or have we mentioned? Maybe briefly, but continue. Okay, well, Claire was our housemate from F1 and she's my friend that I've come out to New Zealand with. So Claire's sister is coming over. Oh, lovely. And um, there's obviously a couple of us out here who don't have anyone or like don't have plans. So yeah. we're all going to get together and probably have a little Christmas meal and then go to the beach. Oh, that's so, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> it's literally going to be the height of summer. So we're just going to go to the beach because <laughs> that's what you do in Auckland. You just go to the beach. Oh, that's amazing. It's going to be great. I- yeah, so I want to make a nut roast because I've made one before and then one of our mates is going to um, make like a, a proper roast, meaty roast. Lovely, lovely. And then, yeah, so it'll be nice. Oh, that's wicked. And so, okay, let's take it a step back. So, yeah, little year two medical student, Suba, has heard about this life-changing plan of being able to go to New Zealand in F3 year or different times in your training. Continue up until final year and you're holding this like dream in your head when is it that you have to start applying and when is it what do you have to like look out for so there's a couple of decisions to be made and that kind of starts with when you want to come to New Zealand or or go abroad um for New Zealand um their training year runs from November to November as opposed to ours which is obviously August to August and I believe Australia runs February to February but don't quote me on that so um, initially, we were sort of thinking of applying. Well, I was quite keen to apply for November to November, but I was speaking to Claire and she initially thought she wanted to come back to start in August next okay. year. Okay. So for her, she wanted to sort of, she'd rather work August to August. So that was fine for me. So then we kind of had to apply earlier. So to get a November job, you apply in April. Um, so we sort of started looking for jobs around December, January time, but nothing was really coming up. And there's actually a website they have called Kiwi Health Jobs, um, mm-hmm. which kind of posts 
posts jobs up but also you can directly email um you know the recruiters and just say you can exactly so directly to the hospitals like staffing um people you just get in touch with them and say look i'm interested in a job that starts at this time blah 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 amazing so it's not like you're emailing a locum agency and you're trying to select between the best agency you're you're trying to no. just going by the location you want to be and the job you want to do Exactly. I mean, you can do it the other way. I do know people that went directly through locum agencies, but I don't know if they had much luck. Um, And I think also it gives you a bit more control to just sort of, if if you know where you want to be, and me and Claire kind of had quite a candid chat about where we'd like to live. Mm. And for me, it was just, I wanted to live by the sea. um, And Claire was quite keen on living in a city. And I was kind of like, yeah, to be honest, you know what, I don't think I could hack living in not a city. Mm-hmm. So um, so we both kind of agreed on Auckland. It kind of was the obvious choice. I was kind of caught between Auckland and another place called Tauranga, but we chose Auckland in the end. So once we'd cho- chosen Auckland, um, well, then it was quite simple because there's just one um, place that you, you got in contact with. And Auckland has um, a really good website that's really... Um, like got a really good procedure on how to apply and get a job so we just kind of went through that process so we applied in February and we had they got back to us quite quickly so we heard back from them in March had our interviews in March and got our job offers in April I believe that's crazy that's such a quick well it's such a quick and like detailed process but it's also yeah it's very clear and easy to follow so that's brilliant yeah 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 because most for some reason, I don't know why, this could have just been me thinking weirdly. But remember applying for electives as a medical student? Like, it took so long. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you'd have to apply, like, literally years in advance. Like, I- And it was such a pain because you'd email this one person or have to, like, phone them at, like, their time yeah. and beg them for, like, a place. Life. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. And you'd feel like you kept having to spend money as well because you'd have to like book it or like put down money to confirm it and stuff, you know, stuff like that, which was stressful. It's actually so long. Where did you go for your elective? I forgot. Um, I did Philippines and Malaysia. Oh, yes, you did. You did. And I did Cape Town yeah. and I'm going back to Cape Town in two weeks. And I went like, Cape Town is Cape Town is literally Amelie's favourite place. I actually, you've inspired me to go there because you go on about it so much. I literally can't wait. You, but you have to take me with you. You can't just be going by yourself. Yeah, of course. You've got to show me around. Uh, and I feel like in the similar way that New Zealand is so like outdoorsy and you can really enjoy hiking and you can enjoy surfing, and you, but you can still like do the whole city thing. Go out and yeah. in wine, indulge in coffee, indulge in like just like the best. Those finer things. Honest. That's what Kate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can do your bougie life, but you can do your like nature yeah. life as well. And that's... Those are literally the best places. And also you're by the sea. And I think uh, like it just makes me so happy to like look out and see this huge body of water and like Aww. what you're like, you know, 20 minutes away from the beach. Like it's amazing. That's so dope. And I think actually what's funny, I am in Devon at the moment and I think I've just come to Devon at the wrong time of year because so I'm living with a couple, a really sweet couple and they're so cool and they've like made me feel really welcome. And they're young and they own their own house, but that makes me jealous. But anyway. Goals, goals, goals. <laughs> I'm like, goals? You guys don't even know. Anyway, so I was just sitting with um, the guy and he was saying about how Devon's so good in the summer. Because like in the evening, you can just go straight to the beach. You can just like chill on the beach all the time with your friends. You can go surfing. And he yeah. talked about so, how much the outdoor life is what brings people to Devon and how it's such a shame that we just don't have it in the winter. So I'm yeah. to what you have now. Yeah, that is a shame that you've come, like, the timing of it exactly. is a shame. But it must be so amazing to have nature that's so close to you. 
in New Zealand yeah. and all year round. Duh. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And do you have any travel plans this year or are you just going to stay in New Zealand? No, so I haven't got travel plans. So, um, I mean, obviously I've got to visit the Pacific Islands. Like, they're on my doorstep. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait to be living my best life in, like, Fiji or, like, Samoa or, you know. How much are flights? And- well, I mean, relatively speaking, obviously in my head, I probably should stop doing this, but I still keep comparing everything to the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also helps that like their currency is double our currency. So oh, that- if I'm like, oh, if I'm like, oh, it's $80, I'm like, but it's only £40. And I know that maths is really illogical, <laughs> but I'm like, oh, but it's only £40. <laughs> For a banana. <laughs> like, no, it's, it's not. It's not. The things aren't- um, but yeah, no. Are they? Um, produce produce is expensive here like it's got to be very seasonal whereas in uh in the uk i think we're spoiled because of having europe so close by so we are spoiled whereas here it's like it's only really what's seasonal that you can like really afford to eat otherwise obviously they're shipping it which is kind of good it makes you conscious of like um how much is going into getting you this food like it's insane that it's insane that we can have blueberries and strawberries at any time of the year like in the uk and it doesn't cost that much. It yeah. doesn't cost that much more. Yeah. No, not at all. But that, yeah. that is definitely a good thing because actually when you're talking yeah. about like planetary health Absolutely. and like the environment, it's very important. We are yeah. eating like what's sustainable and things that aren't costing absolute like millions and also lots of fuel to be able to transport from no, I don't know, Spain to the UK. 100% like the carbon emissions around. associated with what you eat, you're just not really conscious of. But because of cheap flights, like you, you don't actually, you're not aware of it because the cost isn't transferred to you that much. Whereas here, yeah. you pay an arm and a leg for like something that's not seasonal and isn't grown locally. So it just encourages you to eat, eat locally. So it's quite good. Exactly. And you know, when you're spending a lot of money, it makes you more conscious about the food that you're eating. You're not just chucking away because it costs a pound for a pack of bananas or something. Do you know what I mean? Um, But going back to your question about, is it going to be cheap to fly to the Pacific? It's about like 200 quid for a flight there and back, which isn't the cheapest, but relatively speaking, it's like the cheapest it's ever going to be for me to fly there. So (laughs) there you go. Yeah. In your life, you might as well. That's wicked. And... Claire's got family coming out to see her. Do you have any friends coming out to see you? Or are they all shady like me going to Cape Town instead? <laughs> so um, my friends are coming um, just around New Year's and they're going to be here for a couple of weeks in January. So I'll get to do some travelling with them. Um, and then um, another friend of mine will hopefully be coming about coming out a bit later in the year. Uh, me and Claire are also going to Sri Lanka in February for her friend's wedding. Oh, yeah. And then amazing. my parents are going to meet us there and then we'll do some travelling around Sri Lanka. Uh, oh, isn't that going to be? Yeah, it's going to be great. And it, I feel like it's going to be like, you know, Ramesh, Ranga, Nathan when he goes to Sri Lanka with his mum. But in my <laughs> mind, that's what I imagine. But in reality, it's going to be like, it's just going to be my parents making me and Claire go to like temples and stuff. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I think he's just the funniest he's so great. Have you heard his podcast about um, hip-hop? Yeah, I've, I've listened to a couple of episodes. I like, I love, you know, I love hip-hop, but I love hip-hop history yeah. as well. So he's just, he's yeah, just so he's, dope. And he's cool. He he's is, fun. He's, I just find every Tamil person I've met, I just think that your sense of humour is so good. Oh my God, thank you. Did you just say, did you just say that my sense of humour was good? I feel like that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. I, said, I made a generalisation, like a... <laughs> I'm not sure if it's a good job. <laughs> this is why all stereotypes are bad. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like someone could have taken that so out of context and they find more people funny. Is it just part of the culture? Or? Um, absolutely. I think also maybe it's like a very, I don't mean to get political, but you know, like I think when people go through struggles, right? Like you turn to, do you know what I mean? You need humour to like get through life. It's like, which company it is that does it, but there's this like list of like a happy index. It might even be like the happiest oh, yeah. company. And it always comes up. It's always like Nigeria and other like yeah. poor countries that has like really bad wealth yeah, disparity. Yeah, yeah. And they're always like, it must be it's just you're because struggling. you have to. You're struggling. Yeah, in life. absolutely. You're struggling. Yeah. And the only way you can just survive it is to at least laugh about it. So, oh gosh, this life is funny. <laughs> So, Sue, but obviously we've been keeping in contact to make sure, like, the podcast is still, like, popping and up and also just to, like, make sure we're posting on social media even though we're kind of bad at doing that as well. I remember reading the post that you wrote and it was about how you've just come into, like, decision-making about Mm. your career. And can you give us a little bit of info on what that means for you? Because actually... Yeah, you, you can say this better than yeah, I can. so um, I know we've had, like, so many conversations about this sort of stuff. So um, I feel like it's so hard to make a decision about your career and your specialty in medicine. We like everything and we enjoy aspects of every job exactly. that we've done. And that's because I think, um, I think we're both, like, really curious people. So, you know, you mm-hmm. can find a genuine interest in anything you're doing. Um, but I think it was it's so much pressure and stress to feel like you've got to make the right decision for yourself. So I feel like I kind of went on a deep soul search over the last couple of years, trying to get to the bottom of like, what is it that I love about medicine? And what, what is it that's going to keep me doing this job for the rest of my life? And what's going to really enrich and nourish my soul. Um, And that kind of brought me to like two places that were both actually very unexpected for me compared to say when I was at medical school. Um, And I was kind of choosing really at the heart of it between doing um obs and gynae and palliative care this isn't but this is more recent isn't it because in med school I don't know if you remember but when you and Claire first joined us in um our F1 year you both said that you wanted to do surgery I remember that blew my mind because I was like how is it that all these girls from London because I'd met loads of girls from London med schools who'd all wanted to do surgery and I think I had just been in 
in areas where there weren't very many female surgeons. So it literally blew my mind and I was like, oh my gosh, I've been thinking wrong about everything. Yeah, so I mean, I came in sort of toying between, I was actually toying between gen surge and psychiatry when I started F1 and F2. Um, Because I'd kind of come from, I did a psychology BSc, I've always had a huge interest in like psychiatry. I'm so fascinated with it, as are you. Like, we love psychology and psychiatry and that side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like in final year, I've found that like I'm a very practical person as well and I love the thought of developing a technical skill um and that's where I was drawn to surgery Mm -hmm. but when I did my surgical job I felt like there was kind of a a connection or something I was kind of seeking that was missing Mm -hmm. um like a people connection yeah yeah and it wasn't that I didn't have like connections with my patients but there was something there that just wasn't quite clicking Mm -hmm. and I loved um because I was uh I did breast surgery and I loved my my job and I loved going to breast clinic Um, but still there was something there that just wasn't quite connecting and then I did ONG which is my first F2 job and I absolutely loved it I think it was the most that I'd connected with patients Um, and the medical side of it was quite like a a steep learning curve Um, but I as patients wise I connected the most with that cohort of of patients um I loved that they were like women generally actually not that far from my age mm-hmm. um that I really related to um and it was we were talking about very personal things that like were that I felt like I could understand yeah. um when someone was telling me about their heavy bleeding or telling me about their pelvic pain I felt like such a connection to what they were telling me yeah. um and even the obstetric patients where I, I couldn't truly relate to but I could imagine you know or like I could I felt like we were connected in some way yeah, people like they're your sisters they're your mothers they're yeah yeah people people that you going through exactly people that you've not known but actually in ways you've known with through other forms like um totally. it was beautiful I felt like I really loved that side of it um and then quickly so my friend that I went to go and visit last week in Prague um so we met at first year university and we were in halls together we were really close anyway I went to go and see her last week and she's given birth to a baby around six months ago and she was telling me there was such a difference that she felt when she was connecting with like other women as opposed to um like young male doctors and not to say it was because they were male or anything but she felt as though with this one woman in particular, she was able to talk to her about different aspects of her life. Also the difficulty and the stigmas that she feels that when walking around being pregnant and people are like, Oh, your husband probably looks after you when she's like, no, I pay for my car. Like she scratched her car and then the those people kept asking her, Oh, is your, have you told your husband yet? And stuff like that. And she was like, for goodness sake, I'm the one that's carrying us through. But, um, yeah. yeah. The stigma she was able to discuss with her female um doctor that she found so nice as opposed to her her male doctor later on who was like basically she was very late um and he kept saying oh no just have sex drink some red wine and the baby will come out and she was like that's not the conversation I'm trying to have but yeah I think that was just like a silly boy not not like most of your male really experienced obstetrician doctors yeah like I think it's it's nice that patients, I guess, also feel that connection on the receiving end. Um, yeah, but but also, like, it's I feel like it's I'm I'm always in awe of like the female patients that I treat. Like Aww. they're so strong. Like how it blows my mind when I'm like, women just go through so much tragedy and <laughs> are just tragedy that they face in their personal lives and difficulties that 
so many women have that we don't always talk about, like the number of women that have had miscarriages and come out the other end and carry on with life. Like it's so, it must be so hard. Like it really, like I'm in awe. I'm so inspired by the women that like I treat. I I think I just, I I love that as well. I think I find it really inspiring. So that's that's always great. And I think also in ONG, like there are so many strong female consultants and registrars that also inspire me um so that's also a lovely side of it that um I think I find really encouraging so I was kind of caught between ONG and palliative care and palliative care came to me because I feel like um I just I loved how holistic it was it was about this whole person it wasn't about their disease it was about the whole of this person and like their life and what matters to them and that the fact that they are gonna die and we're all yeah I mean we're all technically gonna die right but like their death is imminent is now making them consider their life in a very different way um and I loved that there was aspects of psychiatry general medicine and just communication and so many aspects of you that you had to bring to the table to be a good palliative care doctor and did you think that Um, you came into this understanding after you did your palliative placement week or was this kind of what you were just developing in your f1 f2 I was definitely developing it throughout F1 and F2. I think I'd seen quite a few cases throughout F1 that really stuck with me. And a lot of them were patients that um, became palliative and passed away. And even throughout F2, it was always something that was like just really in my mind. And it was a part of my practice that I really wanted to improve. Um, And I think it was an aspect of being a doctor that I hadn't really considered very much until I started working that, um, you know, a, a lot of a fair amount of your patients, I'm gonna say a lot of your patients, a fair amount of your patients like will come to pass whilst you're mm. caring for them. And that's not a failure. That's not a failing. No. Um but what is a failing is if you've not like um done your best to kind of help them have as much control of that process as they can. Yeah. And also to consider what the feeling of like care needs to be for them, because actually I think if I, if I explore my mindset during my F1 compared to towards my end of my F2, when I was doing care of the elderly, actually like in my F1, yeah, I remember doing lots of like procedures I just wouldn't be doing anymore as an F2 because actually there's so little you can do to reverse what's a inevitable process. I don't think I had that realization and I don't think we'd learned it very much in med school at all particularly when you're not supervised on a ward you might just do ABCs um, you might be doing bloods you might be trying to assess the patient too much getting portable chest x-rays when actually all of that probably won't give you the answers that you're looking for no and actually like the patient is is dying mm-hmm. and the that process is going to happen irrespective of the things that you do but the things that you do um, may not change that outcome Mm-hmm. and they're comfortable and make sure that their family are aware and coming to hospital if they're able to so just a very yeah. different mindset but you have to develop it it's not something that happens overnight it's like a professional maturity almost right like the more you work the more you start to understand that and I remember one of my like one of my favorite consultants from F1 once sort of um turned to me about a patient that we had that was really sick and said to me like are they dying and when do you think they'll die and I was like uh I haven't got a clue. And he was like, it's one of the hardest questions in medicine. He's like, to be able to look at a patient, assess them and say, okay, you're going to pass away in months versus weeks versus days versus 
hours because actually like that really that's really quite important for someone to be able to kind of gauge Mm -hmm. what they want and who needs to be there and what needs to happen um and palliative care are excellent at being able to give a reasonably realistic kind of estimation of that yeah um so anyways palliative care was like pretty pretty up there on my list and I did a taste a week in it at the end of f2 which I loved Mm. um but I think so I've obviously well I don't know if I've mentioned this but I've been on an obs and gyne rotation out here in New Zealand Mm -hmm. um and again I've just I've really loved it and I think I've kind of come to the decision that it's my connection with the patients the fact that I get to you know be practical and procedural is great but also Mm -hmm. communication and sort of a psychology side of things is really important in the specialty too and that's something that I love Mm -hmm. so I can bring that to the table um but I'm going on to doing renal next so there'll be a lot of pally care input there so there's a small smidgen of a chance that I might do that and say oh no I love pally care um and change my mind but I think it's unlikely I think (laughs) oh that's so interesting and I suppose there's still a lot of palliative care that you will have to encounter in in obs and gynae as well so it'll be interesting yeah definitely there's obviously gynae onc and there is um aspects of that Mm -hmm. where you know you get sort of palliative palliative side of things so and I think yeah actually sometimes we can sometimes be too hesitant in making decisions about our career where um whereas before probably the issue was jumping too fast onto a training program because actually the thing is if you go into obs and gynae you're going to have a wide variety of jobs that you can end up doing and actually looking at two obs and gynae consultants their job roles can be so different oh exactly on what you want to do and how you shape your career so I'm excited yeah. for you and I hope you stay like artistic and you do all the, like your singing and your writing and all of that as well through it yeah absolutely Wicked. of course I've got to I've got to you do you do so what I really wanted to find out from you is your experience of the New Zealand healthcare system and whether you feel like it's supportive for junior doctors and what you think we could learn from it over here in the UK or vice versa really I know it's quite a big question. Well, it's difficult because I think that we have very different pressures in the UK, like purely based on number of patients that we have compared to New Zealand. Um, But I would say that their juniors are a lot more supported here. Um, So you know how we've got a news chart, right? And when it triggers a certain number, they're supposed to call a certain person. But actually, in reality, like you just get called. And it's like, (laughs) why are you getting called as the F1 or the F2 on call to manage a patient with a news of like, 12 um but it's because it's because we're too busy it's because the reg is literally fighting fires left right and center um because that happened yesterday and then we had a patient that was musing 11 yeah i remember and they called f1 and the f1 went over but i was like why would you call her because they call the f1 because it's the easiest person to speak to yeah but i'm just like just speak to me because i know what this patient I know what the ceiling of care for this patient is and this F1 is going to do, poor F1 is going to do absolutely everything. Whereas I know I'm just not going to do very much and just watch. And and it was such a, it was so weird looking back at what I used to be like and to think, oh my, you've got so much to learn. Not in a like a patronizing way. In a just life experience way, right? Like it's just experience. Exactly. So it's actually sometimes not good for the patient, for the patient, for F1s to be called immediately. It needs to be, 
more senior team. Anywho. Yeah, and here they're quite good at doing that. So they call generally the appropriate person. Um, Secondly, I would say that actually um, the juniors here are a lot more um, like, it's just a bit more like they're a bit more covered. So for instance, the, so the new okay. doctors are starting um, next week. So the new med student, okay. the new grads, the new grads are starting and um, they won't do nights. They won't do yeah, nights for the first three months, three to six months, I believe. Yeah. They don't do any nights. That's important. Yeah. Cause imagine us, remember like the first lot of F1 that started on nights and it was just like, we were all like, Oh my God, good luck. <laughs> Yeah, I started my nights in my first month of work and I was like, what the heck am I even doing? Yeah, whereas here they don't do nights for six months, which is quite nice because you get used to the hospital, you get used to the system, you develop some clinical acumen and then you start doing things like night shifts where you're you know, a bit less supported. Um, also, mm-hmm. they have a buddy okay. system here where um, like pre-existing, so you get paid a bit. So if you're a um, more senior, uh, yeah, F1 or a more senior doctor, like so still like a SHO, you can go in for an on-call shift with the um, F1 equivalent and they do the shift, yeah. but you're there if they need to ask you a question or just kind of um, get some like basic advice from where they might not want to call the reg. So I know. So And that's like, what a safe way of working. Yeah, it's basically like doing a shadowing on call or something because there's like someone who, who's done, who does this all the time kind of on the side. Maybe just to run by like, oh, how should I prioritise my jobs? Or, oh, do you okay. think I should do this? Or like, do you think that's okay? Um, yeah. Even silly questions that it will take you about 10 minutes to like Google and find out. Like, yeah. you know, when you're like, what's the dose of levofloxacin? Do I give it as a BD dose? Do I give yeah. it as a, do you know? Yeah. Does it matter? Is the bioavailability the same? And I'm like, yes, just give the PO 500 milligrams BD. Yeah. That's so much quicker than like trawling through stupid sheets of paper. Or like Always bothering or bothering your reg or being like, oh, should I ask them? Shouldn't I ask them? Oh, let me just leave it for tomorrow. Or even little stuff like, um, oh, uh, what's what <laughs> the phosphate is 0.6. What should I get? <laughs> Nothing, mate. <laughs> exactly. Stuff like that. It just makes it so much easier to ask someone who knows yeah. the experience of working in the hospital because it's not clinical knowledge no, it's no, just no, like no, no, no. bits and pieces yeah. so that's nice like I think they're, they're quite well supported here with stuff like that um and also here might you, be a like complete lie do you guys get food yes we do <laughs> mate that's, sorry I can't even breathe it's so good we get food it, we get free food it's so good what do you mean by free food? Because I'm not even understanding really. So in the, it's kind of like, so there's there's whispers that maybe it's deducted from the salary, but that's not very, it's, I don't think it's actually officially deducted from the salary. I think it's negotiated in the contract. So whilst you're that's working, true. whilst you're on a, on, on a shift at work, they would provide you meals that you will require during that shift. So they'll provide you lunch during a normal day shift. On a long day, you get lunch and you get dinner. If you're working nights, they give you dinner. You get dinner. Yeah. Oh my you god! Order your dinner That's and then you pick it up from the fridge. Um, yeah, I bet you would live in your. Is when that happened. It's so great. It's so great, and it's so important because it's so hard to buy food in the hospital, and you can just be eating rubbish as well. Exactly. So exactly. So yeah, that is pretty cool. So we get fed and, and watered. Um, they are generally yeah the. the you're just generally a bit more better supported and also I would go as far as to say that you get slightly more sort of opportunities but that's also probably because we we worked in London so it's quite different 
in what sense? For us, it was quite competitive to like be able to do stuff because there's so many people around. So you wouldn't get to go to theatre as much or stuff like that. Whereas here, I would say perhaps slightly more opportunities to... um, The training for junior. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. That's good. And also quite junior juniors as well, it sounds like. It's not just like if you are a training obstetrician, it doesn't Yeah, no, whereas say like I, as a, just an SHO, have been able to get a lot more exposure in obs and gynae. But also... Yeah, I guess it's it, that's very hospital dependent. So I can't really comment on that as a general, like generally for New Zealand. But no, no that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So you you make me want to come to New Zealand and do obs and guiding. Dude. This is like crazy. You got to get on it. <laughs> I need to figure out my life somehow. But I'm going to start figuring it out by. So I've applied for a pediatric job. Oh yeah. I can't even speak. I've applied for a pediatrics job at our old hospital. Yeah. So I've got my interview coming up and for that, but I have to do a Skype interview. So it's lucky I download, we downloaded Skype today. Good. Um, <laughs> so at least I'll know whether I want to do peds or not. I think that will, that placement will help me figure it out. So we shall, we shall see. I think I hear some doors clattering. So I think my Game of Thrones viewing party is about to kick off. So oh I think God. we've got to wrap it up. We do, we do. So what are you guys doing tonight? So we are literally, um, there's a bunch of UK doctors out here. We've all kind of become really good friends. And we're basically re-watching Game of Thrones from the start in anticipation of the final season in April. So, you, yeah. You crazy people. What a waste of time, but I love it. I love it. <laughs> Amelie is like so not into Harry Potter and Game of Thrones. She always is like, you Harry Potter chicks. It's because you guys, you guys are obsessed with Harry Potter. I've read and I've watched every single book and um movie but you don't understand you don't understand that it's a way of life family you know yeah sorry i'm done with this conversation okay to super and can i just say super doesn't call me it's always me having to call her for going out that's a lie this is why i do the podcast just to kind of keep it up with super (laughs) that is pure jokes well anyways i'm looking forward to recording our episode where you tell me about your life and update me on living in Devon and all the things that you've been up to and how to make money as an F3 stay tuned (laughs) so see you guys thank you so much Suba for calling me at such early hours (laughs) (laughs) thank you for waking up at this time and navigating the world of technology thank you thank you thank you I try all right see you later guys all right see you guys later bye catch us over on www.afterthelettuscom or forward slash after the letters on every social media network. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. 
Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com slash covered.